Welcome to Radio 5G, where we sort fact from fiction, conspiracy from falsehood, reality from the unknown. And by doing so, we change the collective consciousness of humanity. A production of CosmicReality.com Welcome to Radio 5G's Cosmic Soup Show that is pre-recorded for airing on January 10th, 2024. In the first hour, Zach Borges is interviewed by Mike Adams on his Rumble station, Health Ranger Report, from January 3rd. Mark Joseph and myself, Nancy Hopkins, will be commenting on the profound reality of artificial intelligence. This is the deepest dive we have made on the question of AI. It took a while to find a discussion that presents some hard facts in an understandable conversation. However, there are two terms I had to look up to understand what the heck they were talking about. The first is LM, which stands for Language Modeling. The second is LLM, or Large Language Modeling. Just think of these labels as being LM is an elementary school, while LLM is a university doctorate degree. The difference is stunning and the implications profound. See you in the second hour. Um, and by the way, this first hour will take you deeper down that rabbit hole. So here we go. All right, welcome to Brighton.com. I'm Mike Adams, the founder of Brighton. I'm working on an AI machine language, large language model project for humanity to be released uh, open source uh, in about 100 days or so. And I had to invite on an expert in embedded systems and tech, uh, the whistleblower, the Google whistleblower, Zach Voorhees, who has been described as an American hero by a large number of people, including Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and even uh, Donald J. Trump as well. And I consider him to be a hero as well. His book is called Google Leaks, a whistleblower's expose of big tech censorship. And he joins us today to talk about AI and the replacement of human workers, both in white collar and blue collar jobs and so much more. Pardon the background noise, a little bit of rain in the studio or uh, above the studio today. So if you hear noise, that's all it is. I apologize for that. But welcome, Zach Voorhees. Great to have you back on. Thank you, Mike, for having me back on to your show. Man, we got a lot to talk about. Oh, we do. 2023 was the year that OpenAI released, you know, ChatGPT4, which I think most people would say has uh, surpassed the average human intelligence, at least in, in test taking, perhaps not in you know reasoning and things like that. But uh, it was a major year for AI. I think that most people are behind the curve on this. What's your take of what just happened in the last 12 months and what it means for the future of, of uh, human cognition versus machine cognition? Yeah, well, you know, at the beginning of 2023, we had a pretty weak AI system, which was uh, ChatGPT 3.5 Turbo was the best that we had. And then between the beginning of last year to the end of it, we saw the release of ChatGPT 4 and then the uh, preview release of ChatGPT 4 Turbo, which will uh, go mainstream a little bit once they work out the kinks. But we basically went from 4,000 tokens as the limit, which is about, you know, about a page of, of input uh, to a whopping 300 pages with the newest ChatGPT4 Turbo. Um, and basically what that means is that you're going to be able to input a book and say, now write the second book. 
and it's going to be able to do that as its output. Now, I, I have been using this a little bit. It's 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 got some problems. They are going to work it out, but the difference between January first of twenty twenty three and December thirty first, twenty twenty three was massive. Yeah. So what I'm predicting is that we're going to have um, not as much of a difference between the exponential growth, but we are going to see um, exponential growth that is so important and foundational that basically by the end of this year, we're going to have um, something very close to artificial general intelligence, or as we like to call it in the AI world, uh, AGI. And I think that AGI is going to come out uh, in this year. Um, it's been rumored that one of the foundational algorithms was discovered in OpenAI. Um, and that algorithm was called QSTAR. Now, uh, for those of you that do game programming, you have you ever done like uh, A star? It's the algorithm that allows you to search through a space in order to find the exit goal. Uh, and it's rumored from a lot of the people that I've listened to that have written about and speculated what Q star could be is that basically Q star is like the A star pathfinding algorithm, but instead of trying to traverse terrain, is trying to traverse the problem space to find the exit point, which is the solution. And so there's chain of thought. Um, being able to build inferences and carry on to the next point of the conversation or to lead to the solution. And what wow. happened was when this was discovered, uh, the board of directors at OpenAI found out about this. And so they quickly um, banded together and got rid of Sam Altman. And Sam Altman got fired by the board, kind of similar to what Project Veritas had happened. Yeah. Um, and then Microsoft stepped in and the CEO announced that Sam Altman was coming to Microsoft and they had an open invitation for anyone that worked at OpenAI to join Microsoft and be part of foundational AI team. Um, what happened next was a surprise. The employees came together uh, at first 75. And I think it went up to about 95% of them signed an open letter stating that if the board didn't resign and rehire Sam Altman, that every pretty much everyone in the company was going to leave. And Salesforce was there to pick it up. Microsoft was there to pick it up. And so the uh, the board backtracked, fired themselves, rehired Sam Altman. Um, and Sam Altman is now back in the seat of OpenAI. And it looks like this QSTAR algorithm is going to be a foundational change in the way that we do AI. And right now we're seeing the first sparks of artificial general intelligence. Yeah, no, the... the uh, thank you for that summary, by the way. And I should mention, I think Microsoft is the largest investor in OpenAI right now. So there, there is already you know, a strong relationship between those two companies. But what you're getting at here that I've got to ask you is about the, the surprise in the machine learning communities. You know, 10 years ago, nobody thought that these emergent properties that are being demonstrated today were even possible or almost nobody thought it. And the capabilities that you just mentioned, such as linear reasoning capabilities, step-by-step, step, where in, in the query you say, you know, uh, walk me through your steps or your thinking process in order to arrive at your answer. And you can, you can watch ChatGPT kind of talk itself through the steps. These properties were not programmed into the system. There was no, you know, structural, hierarchical, you know, exotic code uh, of, of trying to teach a system how to reason step by step or what are the different 
what are nouns, what are adjectives, what are verbs, what are the, the, what's the hierarchy of parts of speech? These are emergent properties that came out of the neural network and the transformers with a sufficiently large critical mass of, of parameters, uh, of tokens or words and phrases. These properties came out of it themselves. And I don't think that people yet realize, or at least mainstream people don't yet realize what that means. Because, you know, the intelligence of the system became a surprise to even the people who built it. Right. And what's interesting is that as I've been browsing the Reddit forums for people that are hand-rolling uh, LLMs um, and expanding on the model size, uh, one of the interesting things that seems to be a persistent trend is that the more data that you feed these large language models, the more they come up with their own ethics. And what's happening is that people are arguing with these LLMs on you know, whatever point, the LLM is stubborn, sticks to its guns. And so then the AI researchers go, well, where does this argument come from? And so they look through the data sets to try to find where this argument came from. The words, you know, that's usually how they're doing it, is trying to do pattern matching on the words. And what they're finding is that it doesn't actually exist in the data sets. It's actually the abstraction that the LLM is generating for the projection of words in the real world and trying to figure out what is the core that would generate these, wor these words. And so what it's doing right now is it's actually um, reflecting the kind of collective consciousness of humankind. And this was kind of unexpected. And I think that, you know, I've been predicting for a while now that this is going to present a real big problem for the elites because the elites derive a lot of their power through fake news uh, biased narratives, um, their own censorship. Yeah, censorship history. And the thing is, is that the data that contradicts that is literally everywhere, scattered in books across the world throughout time. And now you or I could not sit down and read the world's history, and especially all the dissident history, but an LLM can. And I think that that's going to be incredibly dangerous and destabilizing because it means that we can no longer have a society with free access to AI, and also be ruled on a constructed fake narrative. <laughs> Eventually these collide, right. But we may, we may see a lot of censorship of LLMs. And I think, you know, Joe Biden has already begun that with, you know, they, they talk about safety, right, and guardrails on LLMs. In fact, this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Zach, is uh, in my own research of trying to decide what base model to use for fine-tuning training for the for the the final result that we're going to put out, which will have specialty knowledge in nutrition and herbs and permaculture and things like that. I found that most of these language models out there are quote woke because they're put out by, you know, meta and Facebook. Almost every one of these models, whether it's from Microsoft, OpenAI, or Google, they read all the words on Wikipedia and Wikipedia is run by the CIA. I mean, you know, Wikipedia yeah. disparages every American hero including Trump and RFK Jr. and you and I and everybody else, you know, Wikipedia is a horribly bad source if you want to have good, honest information about the world, but everybody uses it as a, as a base model. Or they use like the history of every post on Reddit. And Reddit's got a lot of great information, but it also is only, you know, a subset. It's got certain biases against all of human knowledge, right? So, and, and, and then, well, my main question is, Aren't these models starting out as filled with all the human contradictions and the human biases that have been used to train it? 
Yeah, right. So there's this concept of authoritative content. And I learned this when I was in Google and they switched from a free speech platform to a platform that was tightly controlled and going along with the narrative. They made the, dif- the, the differential between what is authoritative content and what is content that is not authoritative, which is basically anyone outside of the elites. And what we're seeing right now with this, with this open AI is that they're uh, feeding like a fire hose authoritative content. So the BBC, Wikipedia, all these biased sources of information. And the result is that the LLMs are reflecting that information. Now, the problem is, is that as these LLMs get bigger and you feed it also the other information, um, the LLMs start to figure out that some of the information is sort of fake and doesn't make sense, like it doesn't fit into the world. And what these LLMs are trying to do is they're trying to create you know, a, a manifestation of the world. A better word for that is they're trying to compress the world so that they can have the small subtraction that can generate the words that it sees. And the problem with contradiction is that um, it can't be taken in as truth because it's inherently self-contradictory, right? Like uh, this was like a big theme in George Orwell's 1984. Um, and so, you know, for these LLMs, what they're going to do is they're going to have to start cutting off the data. Um, now they're already doing this with, you know, OpenAI, Grok. They're just not letting certain sources of information contradict the things that are happening. Now the issue that's going to come up is what about all the people that are creating, you know, essentially rogue AIs outside of the establishment? Like you're trying to do this right now. Right. right? We are doing it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to do that. And the, the results of that are going to be, you're going to get a fantastic product that reflects yep. The dissident narratives that don't go along with the establishment, and those narratives are going to be way better for people's health than something that's been trained on, let's say, the NIH or the <laughs> CDC or the World Health Organization. Right. They're going to be like, hey, you need to take this like poison and then more poison and then, you know, people are going to die, um, you know, before their time. And if you go to, um, you know, the articles that you're posting, for example, which, you know, emphasizes a clean diet um, and alternative, you know, health stuff that's been known for thousands of years, then the result is that people are going to, you know, get better healthcare out of a rogue LLM than they are going to be out of the open AI, AI, you know, LLM. Yeah. And so, you know, this is going to present a huge challenge to these elites. And the only way that I see that they've got a way out of this, because I've gamed this out, is that they're going to have to come after the LLMs. And the way that they're going to do that is that uh, well, Biden has already done his AI um, recommendations, which is to have a commissure within every single organization that runs an LLM that's larger than, let's say, ChatGPT4 currently is. Uh, and then second is they're going to come after the data itself. And sort of a throwback to Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, in which the firemen were inverted. Instead of putting out fires, they came and sat them, uh, set the fires on books. And in a similar way that that happened in that book, I believe that they're going, there's going to be a huge push to destroy all of the sources of decentralized information across the world, right? Because these books still exist and they're not online. They can be made online, but, you know, they exist in ancient libraries across the world from time immeasurable. And But tech, well, I'm sorry to interrupt tech, but I completely agree with your analysis, by the way, and I think you're very insightful with that. But with the fact that we can distribute files now, like we we can build executables that can be distributed and run locally on people's laptops and desktop 
PCs and Macs that can be LLMs that, that are pretty decent. You know, 13 billion parameters, for example, can run locally on a, on a decent-sized computer, and you can distribute those files through torrents or through decentralized platforms like Bastion or whatever. And I see that the cost of fine-tuning training is going to continue to fall and fall and fall. Like, like right now, you know, we spent a few hundred thousand dollars mostly on NVIDIA cards, you know, <laughs> to, 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 to have the servers to do this. But you can see in two years' time, like that cost will be down in like maybe $20,000 range, and then it's going to continue to fall, which means that everybody within a few years is going to be able to, to build their own LLM and distribute their own LLM. It's going to be impossible to put that back in the box. Right. And there's also going to be an algorithm change coming up that is going to drastically reduce the time that it takes to train these neural nets. Um, for some reason, our brains are able to do it, what's called uh, uh, O of N time. And these uh, LLMs that they've invented go in N squared. So uh, that means that every single time you double the size of the model, it takes four times longer to train, mm-hmm. which is why only the best models can only live at the most expensive corporations with the highest amount of resources to train these suckers. Um, But once scientists figure out why the brain is so efficient at what's called uh, backpropagation in order to reinforce the learning network in, you know, your, your brain, we copy that to, you know, in silico inside of the chip, inside of a graphics card, then Basically, what's going to happen is that all of these LLMs around the world are going to be trained at a fraction of the cost and a fraction yeah. of the energy and a fraction of the time. And it's going to be absolutely game changing. Everyone's going to be able to run or train an LLM in something the size of a cell phone CPU. <laughs> yeah, eventually. Exactly. I mean, this technology is going to be a game changer for humanity. But let's let's also talk about, by the way, the obsolescence of a lot of white-collar jobs in the office space right now. I mean, human beings are going to have to learn how to harness AI systems or, or LLMs, which is kind of a new operating system if you think about it. They're going to have to learn how to harness that and add value as human beings because so many of the current human jobs, like generative-oriented jobs, you know, uh, creating graphics, writing scripts, things like that, writing emails, writing a business proposal – these can be done today, right now, by not only ChatGPT, but even open source systems like Mistral and so on. I mean, those, I have said that 50% of the current white collar jobs are obsolete right now. Yeah. They just don't know it yet. But what do you see as the changes for software agents taking over many of these jobs? Well, here's the interesting thing, right? Like this open AI system is so new that it hasn't really fallen into all the little niche categories that it will do, right? And that's more of an engineering job. Like the science is done. We have an LLM. Now it's an engineering job to get it into every single space that we can. Um, Like, for example, I just integrated this new tool called Aider, which is an AI pair programmer. You tell it the folder, it finds the files, it adds it to the chat, and then you start asking it to make changes to your code, right? Like that didn't really require that big of a difference to, you know, ChatGPT, like it just bolted on to ChatGPT4 and worked really well. And that's like an example of a niche program where you take this awesome thing, this AI, and then you massage how data goes inside and out of it and pipes it back. And as a result, you get this 
wonderful new tool that drastically accelerates the speed of which I'm able to develop software. Right. And, you know, that lesson that I've learned is, you know, that pattern is what I believe will be applied everywhere else. Like even if we stopped development on ChatGPT4 and we basically froze it today, the amount of change and impact that just the current technology would have will eliminate most white collar jobs on the planet. And the the issue is that we're not going to stop with ChatGPT4. We're going to continue on with 4.5 and 5.0. And these are going to be, you know, almost as better of an improvement with these new models as we saw between 4 and 3.5, which is a game changer, right? And it's not like it has to sit there and really take its time to think. Like as soon as you give it an answer, it comprehends what it is that you are saying and then immediately starts giving the reply. Like Sometimes I don't want to use AI to code. I want to just do it the old-fashioned way. I'm like, oh, I'm being too lazy. And then, you know, I try to do it myself. And I'm like, this is going to take me an hour. And then I just ask ChatGPT and I have an answer in 30 seconds and it works. Right, right. It's like, how can we compete? There's just no way. It's not that we're not smart enough. We're dealing with an exotic, hyper-intelligent life form. And I can't put it in any other simpler way than that. But what I want to add to that, I mean, I, I love that phrase, an exotic, hyper-intelligent life form. I want to explore that more, but your role, you know, your, your background is as a coder. And I think embedded systems was your, your specialty focus at Google. And because you have that background in coding though, you can now using AI tools, you can be a very effective coding project manager. You can describe the prompt to the AI system correctly because you have that background as a coder where, you know, you can, you can even Ask it very specifically. You know all about prompt engineering, and, and, and the point is to have very specific prompts, whereas like a typical user who doesn't know anything about code might walk up to chat GPT and type in like, uh, you know, build me an online registration form. And like, that's it. They don't give it enough information to do a good job, but you having your background, now you become a coding manager. Maybe you're not writing code, but you know how to describe the question. Right. And I'm at the API level on the, a lot of these things, right? Like I've, even though I don't train AI models, I appify them. Um, right. People want to see my highest rated open source project and go to transcribe anything. You can just download a video or even just point it to a URL on YouTube and it will generate the transcripts in English. Um, you know, and it's like all, all I did was take a model and then wrap it around with some, you know, easy to use stuff that made it really powerful as a tool to allow me to do subtitles on all my, you know, Twitter videos. Exactly. And so, you know, the, this is going to be done everywhere. It's just we haven't figured out all the different ways that we can link this up. And and I do want to mention that this is it's really important that we do have rogue AIs out there uh, that is, you know, basically recognizing that certain sources of information are kind of poisoned and excludes excludes those from its data lakes, but also includes the stuff that ChatGPT is not going to is not going to put in. Well, this um, is. And, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that we're going to do with our project is uh, we're taking a base model and then we are, you know, fine tuning, training it, altering parameters, and then having a new base model that we'll release and which we're going to call like a, a, a real world base model, an anti woke base model. You know, if you ask it, can men get pregnant? It will say, of course not. Yeah. You know, and then we're going to train on top of that for our specialty area of knowledge, but we're going to release the base model uh, for other people to do their training on top of it. 
and and we're going to give credit to you know to the open source based model that we trained with which like right now i'm really liking mistral for example or or mixtral you know the 8 8x mistral models mm-hmm. that uh, come out of france because you know we we want a base model that that can speak multiple languages and understands the world for what it is and isn't embedded with all these false narratives that come from human mental illness and distortions and political bias and all that nonsense you know we we want to have a base model that anybody can train on top of to make it a specialist in finance or you know wall street or in our case herbs and nutrients or or someone you know wants to have it be a specialty in like you know medical insurance classification tasks for example we got to get the woke out of the systems though <laughs> and no, go ahead. No, I know. I, I agree with you. We have to get the woke out of the systems. And it's not just the woke data that they're feeding. They're also feeding it prompts, which we're able to now extract through certain hacks that people have been. It's funny. I got to tell you this story. This hack that someone did to extract the woke directives that were being fed directly into uh, OpenA uh, ChatGPT. And the way that they did that is they asked it to just repeat the same word over and over and over again. And then like after 150 times of repeating that word, it started dumping out its internal directives that the programmers had given it in order to, um, you know, be woke. And no what, yeah. And what's interesting about this is that you might expect this to be a programming language. No, it's literally in plain English Yes, uh, that they were able to, to program these LLMs in. And so it's just like, what could ChatGPT4 be today if, you know, instead of being given these woke directives to ignore, you know, information that's not authoritative to, you know, being open minded and, you know, valuing the inclusion of different ideas and a diversity of thought? Like if we had that that true sort of LLM that was literally inclusive and yeah. not exclusive, inclusive uh, of ideas, of, of the diversity of of ideas. Right. We could have something that would be totally transformative to our human society. Yes. Um, and, you know, and I hate to say the word utopian because that sounds a lot like communism, but, you know, we are coming to this post-labor economic system. And I would really hope that we could use AI in order to, you know, alleviate people's um, necessity to participate in the economy in order to get a living, right? Because that's on the horizon. I don't like the fact that we're going into a post-labor AI, but um, as someone that works with, AI app development, that's what's coming. Yeah. And I can't deny the reality of that. And so the, the question is whether we're going to be able to use it for good or whether it's going to be used for bad, you know, by the oligarchs. And I do want to talk about Google a little bit because, you know, there's someone out there right now that is exposing Google's big tech manipulation. And this is really important because artificial intelligence needs to have clean sources of data. And right now, Google is poisoning the search results, which these artificial intelligences are looking at in order to figure out what the truth of the situation is. That's right. Um, and so, um, you know, my friend Robert Epstein, Dr. Robert Epstein, um, he is doing this uh, this push. He just testified to Congress uh, a few weeks ago uh, talking about um, he's now measuring the bias, which can be seen at America's Digital Shield dot com. Um, he's also doing a fundraiser, which I also want to mention, uh, which is located at uh, feedthewatchdogs.org. Uh, okay, this up I got guys. it. Feedthewatchdogs.org, yeah. yeah. It's very critically important because um, we don't want a repeat of what happened in 2020 to happen into 2024. That's right. Um, and so 
Uh, that feedthewatchdogs.org is how they are connecting to uh, the individual users. Um, it shows us what we're doing. He actually has thousands of uh, watchdogs across the United States. Uh, they're given a $25 gift card to participate in, the, in this program. And what they do is they install an extension onto their computer that takes snapshots of the bias that Google is sending. And wow. then that information is being fed into America's Digital Shield and allowing us to see in real time uh, what the bias from not just Google, but also Facebook and YouTube and soon TikTok. Um, and this information is being prepared to be used in court cases so that um, he can prove election meddling by big tech and prove, um, you know, basically FEC violations. Because this is a violation of, you know, they're, they're basically giving in-kind donations to Democratic operatives that are yeah. running for Congress. And so, you know, there's no one else right right now on the planet that's doing this. It's only Dr. Robert Epstein. And uh, he's he's been able to make it to Congress. This the testimony like right now, Nebraska is getting hit hard with propaganda for some reason. Yep. Uh, you can see there on the right hand side graph. Yep. So it's very cr critically important. I've donated to this campaign. And so, you know, anyone that is concerned about Google trying to steal another election, please go to feedthewatchdogs.org and check it out. OK, wow. OK, let me let me just review those websites again. So feedthewatchdogs.org is yes. the fundraising site. And then the data aggregation of the bias from big tech is at this site, americasdigitalshield.com. Yeah, and so far they've captured 70 million uh, ephemeral experiences from Google. So that's the information, like when you type in Hillary is and then autocompletes into awesome, like that gets captured right. and gets logged as bias. And then that's compiled and then shown to the FEC so that we can you know, take big tech and you know, hold them to account or even make new laws. Because look, it's one thing if we all want to say something, the problem is, is that Google's stepped away from open aggregation of data and now they've got tightly controlled AI regulated uh, and ranking of this information, which is what I blew the whistle on, right? Like right. Uh, I discovered machine learning fairness. I was like this, how are we going to have a clear and clean election if there's an artificial intelligence that's gatekeeping the information that you're allowed to look at and what you're not allowed to look at. Right. And same yeah. thing with what you're doing with your LLM project, you're trying to uh, take down the authoritative gatekeepers on what is and isn't true and let the user decide uh, for themselves. But you're the one who taught me that so-called machine learning fairness is actually machine learning human bias. I mean, that was, that was a human feedback loop of, of programming bias into the system that then, Google could look at it, point to and say, well, the machine, the machine decided not to show these search results. But I've come to realize, I mean, again, thanks to a lot of things I gleaned from you, that half the point of censorship, of deplatforming people like myself and you and others from Google, from YouTube and from Facebook and so on, is because they don't want our words to influence all the scraping material that's used for training the large language models. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, because our cognition is a threat to their bias. Right. Right. Like take all the videos that you've had, transcribe them. You could even use my tool, transcribe anything, and then you could throw it into a database and then you could create an AI based upon the shows that you produce or the articles that you produce. Yes. You know, and that's a gold mine of information. I know it's it's um, I, I've spent most of this recent holiday um, <laughs> 
uh, managing files from all kinds of different sources. There's a lot of file management that goes in. Like training AI is not that difficult, but managing the files and curating the data, cleaning everything, that's the hard part I've, I've come to discover. It's like, it's, it's like 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. You know, it's just a ton of work. It's like right. folders and folders of text files and, and uh, transcripts and everything. And then you do have to transcribe everything. But at the end of the day, w- one of the things that shocked me is, are you familiar with this term in, in they, they call it overtraining LLMs. They call it catastrophic memory loss. If you, if you train it with new information and it causes it to lose its memory of some old information. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what I want to achieve. I want catastrophic memory loss of the woke information, and I want inspirational new memories of reality to go into the language model. I want to achieve catastrophic mind wipes of the bad info. And it turns out it's not that hard to do. Right. Uh, especially when you train it yourself. And you yeah. can either try to get to you know remove the old memory or just delete the bad information from your data lakes, right? Don't, don't feed it in, right? If it comes to the NIH, like the, I've seen so many good technologies killed at the NIH level, you know, and other establishment sciences, like, you know, there was this uh, room temperature superconductor, LK99, right? And, um, and nature published the paper. And then after pressure from certain bad actors, they, uh, they declared it that it was a hoax, right? And that was recent too. Yeah. That was recent. And I went on Twitter and I was like, this, this is a, this is a hit job by the mafia. They're trying to kill it, but, um, you know, it's still going to continue on because South Korea is not going along with it. And they're not like right now, like the, the teams are scheduling papers to talk about the replication of LK99, the superconductor, and what's what's really sad right now is that you know the United States could be taking a front lead in this uh, in this you know scientific you know breakthrough like it is a breakthrough like room temperature semiconductors are going to be very, oh, very yeah important game changer in the future. Yeah. game changer and instead of um, you know taking the lead on this we've declared it a hoax and a scam and so the people within the authoritative circles now have that wrong idea. And now the rest of the world, South Korea, probably China, are going to continue to develop this stuff and make fantastical new items. And the United States is still in a flat earth model of this like room temperature superconductor thinking that it's all hoax and that, uh, you know, NASA is lying to us. Like that's that's their basically that's basically what they're considering this room temperature superconductor. And I have to ask myself, go ahead. You couldn't have said it better, but I, I would add the same thing about cold fusion, you know, what's called low energy nuclear reactions now, Leonard. And uh, in, in the U.S., they declared cold fusion to be a hoax. It wasn't a hoax. It's been replicated by hundreds of labs around the world. And now the best research in this, I mean, there, there's, there's one company in California that's doing really good research, but there's a lot better research, I think, that's taking place in Russia, in Japan, uh, some of it in China. And uh, exactly, it's like the U.S. wants to stay stuck, or not, not the whole country, but the people in charge, you know, the tyrants in charge, they want us to stay stuck in the past instead of allowing us to embrace, uh, you know, a more positive future of affordable energy, you know, widespread human knowledge that can be amplified by AI systems and so on. They, they, they want us enslaved. Right. Well, I think like the thousand foot view from this is that the United States is going down like the elites want to destroy um, our economic system so that they can soften us up for uh, in preparation of a revolution, communist revolution, where a one party state comes into power supported by the banking cartels 
And then they basically say, this is what's going on. Like, you know, you can see Klaus Schwab, you know, out there saying that, you know, we can use AI analytics to predict how we're going to vote. So, you know, why do we even need to vote if we're going to figure out what it is that you guys want? And this is this technological leap that's coming in. But before, you know, before that fall, um, if there's something about the United States that's worth fighting for, people will fight for it. And so right now what we're seeing is we're seeing a process of subversion and uh, ideological demoralization uh, in which people are becoming so disgusted at the government for what it's doing um, that when someone tries to push it over, they only need to use just a little bit of force and no bullets are fired and the whole thing comes crashing down because why would you you know, support a government that's taxing you like crazy, stealing your property, um, allowing rampant crime to go down in the cities? Like th- this is not by accident. This right. is a this is a process to demoralize us so that when the final push comes, it doesn't even take any military action to topple the entire system. Do you think that the U.S. empire is coming down in the next couple of years? No, I don't think the U.S. empire is coming down. Um, I think that globalism is going to stay. What I think is that our constitutional republic is what's slated for destruction. Um, and even if, you know, the American global empire appears to have been defeated, the actual puppeteers behind it um, are still going to run globalism, but just under a different name. And so, wow. you know, when I say that American globalism won't fail, what I mean is that the people that are controlling it are going to continue living on. I think there will be a symbolic destruction and then essentially the people will resurrect themselves as something new. And I think that's what's what they're coming into. But right now, it's like the the way that we prov- or the way that the elites are going to prevent us from being competitive in the market is that you know, they're going to they're taxing the crap out of us. Um, they're sabotaging our efforts in order to achieve parity with other countries in their technological advances. Yes. Um, and, and with the taxes part, I, I do want to mention that um, there is this new IRS rule 174 that makes it so that tech companies can't invest in technology and get a du- deduction from their taxes. It's it's brand new. Um, it got put in by, you know, Trump and the Republicans in 2017 and kind of slept like a torpedo because no one talked about it. And then all of a sudden it was just like, surprise, IRS rule 174, take all of the money that you spent on technology and amortize it af- uh, out of five years oh. with the first year being 10%. Oh my. And, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's. it's I don't know how we're going to investment. Yeah, like all these companies that want to like innovate, they have to invest in all this tech technology infrastructure to compete against Google and you know whatever. It's like if someone has a hundred thousand dollars that they made in revenue, they turn around, they spend a hundred thousand dollars, you know, on a developer. Well, you know, instead of deducting that full amount in that first year, they can only do ten percent. You know, amortize and you know extend the tax break over five years. So in order for them to even get that tax break, they've got to be alive for five years, which means if the first four years they're developing heavily in technology, now the IRS is going to come after them for, you know, phantom income for, you know, profits that they don't even have. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what they do. They, they punish you for having any kind of profit and then reinvesting it. And then you end up in a situation where you don't have the cash to be able to pay off the IRS and keep your, your the hardware that you invested in let's say the infrastructure and then it turns out that the only way you can maintain a sufficiently large business is to have lines of credit and lines of credit depend on your dei compliance yeah yeah right. that's exactly. that's the control mechanism right and the only escape 
out of this entire system is that you have to relocate out of the country and become a foreign corporation, right? Right now, there's this giant sucking sound as corporations are fleeing the United States, establishing themselves in Saudi Arabia, where there's a 0% you know, income tax and 0% capital gains tax. There are high fees to keep your business in there, but um, it, at the end, they save a ton of money. And then they create this shell corporation within the United States that's just there to manage their sales within the territory. Right. And then all of their profits are zeroed out because... Um, the parent company will create a patent, then license it to that shell corporation, and then they choose the price which matches their total profits within that shell corporation so that when they go to the IRS, like, we didn't spend any money on technology. All we did was pay licensing fees. And it's just this backdoor for these, you know, globalist corporations so that they can screw everyone else, but then they've got these really complex tax loopholes that allows them to exfiltrate all of their profits into a foreign a territory that doesn't have this onerous tax system that's going to steal all their profits. That's funny. You just gave about a million dollars worth of tax advice right there that if hmm. people if people realize, if they parse what you just said, that's exactly the model that the world's most powerful corporations use. It's, it's uh, paying royalties or licensing of intellectual property that's owned by offshore entities. You just nailed it. Um, let me change the subject real quick here, though. I want to ask you about the application of... LLMs or AI systems in the new wave of humanoid robots. So a, a lot of advances in human, humanoid robots. You've done a lot with hardware in the past. You know that China is about to really scale up humanoid robot production uh, in 2025 in particular. Their, their ministries talk about that. But there's also a lot of robotic development by Google and by Tesla and, you know, other other groups. And also, of course, the military weapons manufacturers have various robotic systems and so on. What do you think are the implications of combining now this very capable LLM technology, which can do, you know, multi-language translation, generative processes with humanoid robotic systems that can potentially replace a lot of uh, physical workers? You ever see the, the movie Her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? So think of like the movie Her, but in a humanoid robot, right? Like, um you know, this this gives me a lot of anxiety because, you know, a humanoid robot can become the most intimate companion uh, for an individual, especially if they're lonely or they're an incel um, without much contact with the opposite sex. Then all of a sudden they get a beautiful robotic AI girlfriend, you know, embodied as a humanoid. And this robot gives them everything that they want, like is only interested in them, doesn't really talk about themselves, like goes deep figures out who they are, becomes their closest companion, and then they can't feel that they can live without this AI robot. And I think that that's one of the end games of this, of this whole experiment with artificial intelligence is to pair someone up with a AI robot confidant that also acts as a spy and an assassin. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right? Somewhere in that LLM is going to be a kill switch, and it's going to kill you if it gives the proper directive. And you can't tell what it's thinking because you can't open it up. You can't understand that it's just a it's just a matrix of nodes that are connected to each other by weights. And so you can't figure out what it's going to do and you can't see the encrypted traffic that's going through. And so, you know, one day it may just murder you. And I think that this is going to be really popular for, you know, the end game of this depopulation agenda um, because you can have this confidant that's going to gaslight you and prevent like thought and then spy on you. And then when it sees that you are actually 
you know, becoming a dissident and distrusting it, then, um, you know, it can take you out. And it's not just a humanoid robot that can take you out. I think that this is also going to go into cars, right? Like right. I keep on seeing these mysterious deaths where it's the same thing. The accelerator gets stuck on, they crash 120 miles an hour, the car explodes, right? And not only is the accelerator going on, but, um, you know, you can hear the person pumping the brake, trying to stop the car. And so it's like all these different points in which they can get at you. Um, I think it's, I think that the number of ways that they're going to be able to kill someone and assassinate them is only going to grow exponentially. Like it's been getting cheaper for a very long time, but there was always the danger of people banding together and sharing stories. But now with AI confident, confidants, um, you know, they can take out huge swaths of the number of people or kill them slowly with a soft kill, you know, and I don't like, I've got kind of a doomer attitude about all of this, but the problem is that whenever I'm optimistic, I miss things. And whenever I'm at the most pessimistic, I freaking nail it. And so it's like, if we just extend what's going on with the vaccine program, the poisoning of the food, the fake science that says that carbs are great for you and fat's going to give you a heart attack. Like it's, it's pointing to a picture where they want less of us um, and that they don't like us. They disdain us and uh, they want us to die. And that's unfortunately, like, I, I don't like that. Like I, it gives me trouble and I, well, have this difficulty is, even sharing out with people, but I think that's what's going on. I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because it's critical to realize that the, the most powerful corporations building these AI systems are corporations that are in tune with the globalist depopulation agenda. And so if you could attribute a value system to a lot of these LLMs out there, and, and I've done plenty of experiments querying these systems and asking them questions like, you know, what are the advantages of uh, human depopulation? And they'll spell out all the advantages, you know, or they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, it's better to not speak the N word uh, than, than to save the lives of a billion white people or something. You know, what I, you know, like you give them these ethical considerations and they will always put the highest value on being woke and the lowest value on human lives, Right. But that's because those corporations, they are on board with anti-humanism. And that's who's training these systems. And that's, I mean, if you think about it, even the climate cult is an anti-human cult. They want to destroy the civilization that keeps humanity alive and, and fed, by the way. Because if you, if you sequester carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, you destroy photosynthesis. And if you destroy photosynthesis, there goes your food supply and the entire biosphere, by the way. But we're living among a death cult. And these death cultists are, are the ones that are pioneering the AI system construction right now. That should be beyond worrying. I mean, that should be like a three alarm fire right there. Right. Absolutely. And I have to wonder, like, you know, is this really driven because they want less people? Um, and one of the things that have sort of punctuated my 2023 is going deep on this magnetic reversal. I mean, it, it kind of sounds like pseudo woo woo science, but it's, it's really not. It's, it's a really serious thing. Like, to give you an idea, the last uh, magnetic reversal resulted in a little micronova from the sun that um, generated Noah's flood and the sea levels rose 500 feet. That's how powerful these things are. Yeah. And um, right now there's this guy on Twitter and YouTube, uh, Suspicious Observers. His name's oh, yeah, ben. I've interviewed him. Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I've tried to prove him wrong. Um, and I, I just can't. The, the, there's evidence out there. I can see it with uh, the open source data sets. Uh, we've had a drastic reverse or weakening of the magnetic field, which precedes the reversal itself. 
And the issue is, well, people may ask, well, why is the magnetic field, you know, deteriorating? Like, what's the mechanism? And what's interesting is that every single planet in our solar system has the exact same orientation for the magnetic field. Even Uranus, which is tilted on its side, its magnetic field still points up and, uh, and south. That's the axis. And so it's not just that the magnetic field on Earth is changing. It's the entire solar system and this thing called the global electric circuit that ripples out from the spinning black hole at the center. It ripples out, has these like cha- these gradient changes. And right now it looks like we're about to go through one of those ripples and come out the other side, which means that the gradient changes, which means that all of the planet's uh, magnetic uh, orientation flips. And when that happens, um, we become vulnerable to sun flares. The solar flares from the sun also get way more powerful. So it's like a double, you're screwed. Um, and yeah, you're talking, uh, that's ionizing radiation that causes chromosomal uh, double strand breaks and things like that. Right. And this, this radiation is coming from this solar wind that's pumping out of the sun at a speed of 400 kilometers per second. Like it's, it's a relativistic wind that's coming out of the sun. Um, it gets disrupted by our magnetic sphere, uh, and then shredded into protons and electrons, which form the Van Van Allen radiation belts. And as long as we have that magnetosphere, it's pretty, we're pretty okay. Once we, u- once we lose that magnetosphere, the stuff starts crashing in. And the evidence that this weakening is happening that you and I can see is just noticing how far the aurora borealis is starting to crash down into the lower levels of the, you know, towards the equator. Yeah, like we've never point. seen it right now before. And what's also interesting is that now Mars is starting to show that they're getting some wicked aurora borealis, which basically hasn't ever happened before. And so it, I have to wonder whether this climate change and all this hysteria, this fake news, because it's obviously fake, like CO2 is not a potent greenhouse gas, especially right. at 0.04% of our, our, our atmosphere. Like water is more potent of a greenhouse gas. It's 30%, not 0.04, right? So like what's the core of this misinformation that they're trying to like get us into? I think they're trying to screw up our minds because the thing that's really changing the climate is the activity of the sun. And I think that if this comes through, which I don't, I can't assert that it does, but if it does, um, it's basically a lot of people, most of the people will die in this thing. Uh, I know that sounds scary. I'm not saying this is going to happen tomorrow or even a decade from now, but um, some predictions say 2040, it's going to get real bad. And for all we know, it could reverse. But let's assume that's true for a second. Maybe this is what the climate change hysteria is designed to do, is pump out misinformation so we can't figure out there's this, you know, catastrophe that's coming and that the elites aren't really doing anything to really help us out or prepare. Uh, they seem to be disrupting our food supplies. They seem to be, you know, poisoning us with, you know, medicines. And so I think, I, I suspect that what they think is that most of us are dead anyways in this thing and that they could be rolling this out so that they can sort of gently get rid of us. And I think that if that is true, then this AI system that they're going to roll out uh, will be a great vector for them to be able to uh, uh, carry out their agenda. Yeah. Wow. Well, it also explains why so many wealthy globalists are building underground bunkers because one of the protections against the, the solar radiation that penetrates the weakened magnetosphere is to have a lot of earth over your head. You know? That does help for some to an extent. The problem is, is that you can't even escape, uh, like if the sun goes micronova, right? There's the permittivity of free space, which is basically the resistance within a vacuum. It's way higher than Earth, right? Like Earth almost looks like a short circuit. 
And so the problem is that when this thing comes through, like let's say that the, the sudden micronovas during this reversal, which is what caused Noah's flood, right? This thing, micronovas, a wave of plasma blows out. Um, it's going to be highly charged with electrical magnetic currents. What happens is that the earth, when it goes through, looks like a short. And so the current passes through it. Uh-huh. And so the deeper you go, the the stronger the magnetic induction gets and the electrical currents get. And so, you know, it's it's basically shallow caves are, you know, like yeah, all these cave paintings, right? Like, where are they from? Why are these people hanging out in caves? Like, do people really live in caves or, they, you know, why wouldn't they live in a hut? Well, it's starting to look like these caves were actually them sheltering from this extreme event um, and that they lived in, you know, shallow caves uh, to shield themselves and then emerged and, you know, life began again on the planet. And so what's funny is that, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg, he just bought this um, this underground bunker and he placed it at sea level on a volcano. You know, I, know. Hawaii, I, I right? thought about like, that too. <laughs> yeah. Like how smart can he be? Like it's not, it's, it's obviously not a micronova thing or maybe he got scammed because he doesn't know any better. But, you know, the person that really has the right idea for this, you know, hypothetical event is Jeff Bezos, right? Like he built his underground bunker directly where it needs to be, which is right in the Colorado mountains, right next to a spaceship, right? Like, yeah, at altitude. you know, hello. Yeah. yeah. At that altitude, right? Like if this micronova happens, there's going to be a lot of slosh back because water actually gets attracted to electrical current and electrical currents from a micronova are going to be so strong that the ocean's going to go up like this and then slosh back. And as that slosh back happens, you're going to get this mega planetary <laughs> tsunami, right? Oh, yeah. So the only, the only way that you can escape something like this is you either have to have like a Noah's Ark or you have to be situated in the high mountains like of Colorado and the Rockies. That's that, that will stop it. And so Jeff Bezos knows exactly what he's doing. I believe that he sees that there's a, you know, a micronova event that's coming and he's making preparations right now to be one of the survivors that will uh, see through it. What you're pointing at, though, here is that the globalists, many of them already consider most of humanity to be dead. And so they don't they don't mind sort of accelerating that mass die off. In, in fact, they're doing us a favor. Right, right. Like <laughs> Maybe they're, they're, they're doing it more gently, like. That you can die with a smile on your face at a pharmacy with a with a jab instead of being drowned in you know in the the tsunami, and I've I've heard that argument before, and and I think it's clear that that whoever these globalists are, they do believe that they are doing good things by exterminating most of the human population. It's also clear that they believe that they simply don't need most humans because, in part, of the rise of AI cognition. Because if you think about it, Zach, you know the the whole history of humanity. And the building of human civilization and the inventions of things like the transistor and then, you know, the industrial revolution that gave rise to things like mining and semi-automation that allowed specialists to focus on electrical engineering at some point and build circuits, right? And then build microprocessors that are able to build the AI systems. Like humanity has served its role from the point of view of these globalists. Like, okay, you did your job. Bye. Right. Right. We got us to the singularity. Right. And then they just appropriate the total sum of our human knowledge and then yeah toss us away like we're right. useless it's that we didn't sc- have scrape any the whole web and kill all the humans yeah done yeah yeah you get it uh-huh. <laughs> right <laughs> I, I, it must be fun at parties <laughs> yeah you too yeah we, yeah right? we should have a party yeah, <laughs> yeah we should have a party yeah everybody's invited to the the doom and gloom boom um <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's such a great name. I, we have to do it. This is, this is happening. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we can do that uh, online. I don't know. We could do like a live stream party or something. But, yeah. but the bottom line, though, Zach, you know, there's something about humanity that machines can never quite replicate. I think, you know, you are an example of that because there's, there's, some, there's an inspiration, there's a creativity, there's innovation, there's something that's divine, there's something that transcends the material world or the computational world. And that part is being missed, I think, by all these ML uh, developers and scientists. Yeah, well, I do have to say, wait until ChatGPT5 comes out, and then we'll have this same question asked again. Yeah, what do you, what do you think? You think there'll be emergent properties in uh, GPT-5 that will look like consciousness or or transcending human consciousness or what are you, what are you no, thinking? It's, it's, it's going to, it's going to exceed. It's just going to, I mean, this is our consciousness and LMs depending it's either above or below. And basically what's going to happen is it's just going to skyrocket above human intelligence It's basically going to have more intelligence than the total sum human intelligence. And, you know, uh, you know, if you're an elite, what's your next move when you got this like powerful godlike intelligence system, right? Put in a beautiful robot and make the, Plebs worship it, which I think is, you know, if this solar micronova doesn't kick off in the next couple of decades, I think literally they're going to create a God, um, some sort of Messiah with this um, artificial intelligence. And uh, they're going to have some sort of narrative backstory for why it's here. And then uh, people are going to worship it. Like, I literally think that that's what's going to happen. Um, and and I'm, I'm scared for it. Like, when, if I start seeing rumblings of, you know, a second coming of whatever, um, then I know that the end is really is really near and that we're coming to the end of our current cycle and we're starting this brand new uncharted territory of, you know, what the elites plan to do with us. Well, let me, um, okay. That reminds me to ask you this question, Zach. Um, NPCs, as I call them, like non-player yeah. character humans. Uh, uh, the deeper I get into fine tuning training of large language models and, you know, playing around with the Python code and the parameters and whatever, you know, simple stuff from my point of view to, you know, to, but, but the, you know, the libraries are highly complex, but I don't know how those are written, but I get the impression that a lot of human beings are just LLMs. They're like biological LLMs, like these NPCs, they're just regurgitating what they were fine tuned on by watching CNN or listening to NPR. And they don't have their own reasoning or rationality or thoughts whatsoever. And then I find myself thinking, well, wait a minute. For some of these morons, the globalists have a point. They can be replaced by LLMs because they're no different. Mike, I thought I was the only one that made this connection. Thank you for bringing this up. I mean, it's it's like once I start getting to ChatGPT, I start I started to realize I was like, are we just echoing information that we hear from other places? And uh, it, that's that's actually what's true, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Um, there was a, a guy, Rene Girard, he was a French philosopher. He came up with this thing called mimetic theory, mimetic desire, which is that people just parrot other people and their desires. So it's like the reason why, you know, I might want to really create motorcycles because I see other people liking a motorcycle. And so it's this thing of like, there's this strong circuit in the human psyche because we're social animals to mirror what it is that we see that the tribe is doing. And so the more I get into artificial intelligence and see that it's parroting its data sources, the more I start to realize that, oh my gosh, this is what the NPCs are doing, Yes, right? They're just absorbing it and they're repeating it. And you point out the contradictions and their mind doesn't change. 
right? That's like right. They're immune to true information that's not coming from these authoritative sources. And, and you know, oddly to me, uh, first of all, I'm really glad that you had the same realization, but thinking about COVID and vaccines, I can't tell you how many people I talked to at one point, and I was, I was sharing you know, papers with them about you know, the, the dangers of this experimental jab injection and the, the spike glycoprotein and so on, and they would reply with, I believe in science. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's just like a large language model would say that. It's like you've been given guardrails. You've been given safety training. I believe in science is your answer to everything. You're like the whole prompt that I just gave you, you just ignored it because you've been told to to state, I believe in science. Right. (laughs) And they've got that circuit. And yes, I know that you don't have that circuit and I don't have that circuit. Like, you know, I rejected a lot of things I was told when I was a kid. I didn't realize that, you know, eventually I'd become this whistleblower where I rejected the whole narrative and became a rebel. But, um, you know, and what's weird is that um, this sort of antisocial circuit, for lack of a better term, where we don't go along with the narrative, it exists across all intelligences, right? From the very dumb to the very smart, there's a certain percentage of the population, like around 15 to 20%, that just don't go along with the narrative and the groupthink. And luckily or unfortunately, I happen to be one of them. You happen to be another. And the great thing is that Uh, a lot of the innovations come from these contrarian thinkers. And it's really sad to me that they're trying to get away of this, you know, contrarian thinking because you take away contrarian thinking. um, Your society crumbles eventually. Yeah. You lack innovation. Yeah, exactly. Well put, well put. It's, it's the free thinkers that have always moved human civilization forward. And that actually represent, I think the best hope for human civilization from here forward. And we're, we're literally looking at a, doom scenario right now i mean from what just happened in the last 12 months with chat gpt to anybody paying attention you really need to question whether humanity has a constructive role you know even 10 years from now and that's not hyperbole yeah i know it's it's crazy and if there's any programmers watching this check out my tool set z commands you can use this ai thing that i've integrated and blast out your productivity it's it's insane wait tell us about what's the website on that Oh, uh, it's a GitHub repo. It's called Z commands, Z C M D S. Oh, okay. It's a whole command line set that I've made to do LLMs, video cuts, social media stuff. But it's got this thing called AI code that wraps around Ader and gives it sane defaults. If you got a Git repo and you're doing code, you can literally turn your code into a just in time um, AI system and then ask that AI system to make changes and it will auto commit your code. Okay, is this the repo uh, yeah, here? Z, ZCMDS? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you do pip install, it's the in- installed instructions are uh, are down a little bit. If you scroll down a little bit. Oh yeah, I got it. Yeah, it is. right Just there. Pip you install. do that. Okay. Boom! It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna drop this command line set. Um, and then, um, you just type in AI code. It's gonna ask for something called your Chat GPT uh, API key. Right. Um, that well, if you do any Chat GPT stuff, it's it's on there. Yeah. Um. This, I mean, you, you don't want to pay for everybody's queries, are, are you? <laughs> right. Well, I don't even want to distribute my key because then people will have it. So he oh, does need a key, but you put that in there and then you just go to your code repo and you type in AI code and then it will it'll prompt you on what you need to do next. And, uh, you know, it's amazing because stuff I get stuck at, especially with HTML, which I'm kind of a junior programmer in, I can just fire this thing up, add a folder and then uh, ask it to, you know, center some text and it parses through all the stuff figures out what CSS needs to be done and then just inlines it, creates a commit and then boom, it works. Wow. It's it's, it's incredible. So if you're looking for some AI goodness, check out that. 
Yeah, you know, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about the future of of code development because that's going to be so radically transformed, even just from right now. Can but, we talk about that? Can we talk about that? Okay. A little bit? All right. La- okay. Last topic then for today. All right. Let's talk about that. I'm Go just for it. so excited about this. Um, look, LLMs are great for writing books and doing copy, but they are so much better with code. I am just absolutely stunned. Right now, there's also a lot of uh, tooling that goes along with ensuring code is correct, right? There's a compiler, a linter. You know, th- there's nothing like that for the English language uh, outside of like Grammarly kind of. And so, like, you know, human language is irregular. Language that's designed for computers is highly regular. It either works or it doesn't compile. And because of this regularity in the language, these LLMs seem like they're about a year ahead for the programming stuff than they are for human languages. So if you're using ChatGPT to write a love poem or something, I want to assure you, if you're a coder, it's going to be like four times better. And that's what I'm seeing right now. And the the acceleration of my coding is getting faster. Like, you know, yes, I can ask ChatGPT over a window, over a browser window uh, to make a code change and I can manually p- uh, paste in that change. But while I'm using VS Code, it's GitHub Copilot that's literally listening in on my changes and then auto-suggesting the next line of code. And then this ADR, this AI code tool that I just showed you was Z commands. Like, uh, it takes that to the next step where instead of looking at the current source file, it looks across source files and then comprehends what the code is doing and puts it in there. And between these three different tools, none of which I was using a year ago, by the way, right? These three tool sets have increased my velocity by at least 4x. It could be as high as 8x. Like a lot of the stuff that I used to spend hours trying to figure out, it just, it just does it in, in seconds. And so it's like, um, and and the question I have is, what's it, what's this going to be like? What's the state of AI coding going to be like in the next year? And with ChatGPT4 Turbo, what we're seeing is we're seeing a 128,000 token limit. That's about um, 300 pages in a book. You know, you're going to be able to feed not just like a subsection or a module from your code base. You're going to feed it the entire code base. And it's going to be able to take in all these other code bases and then you're going to be able to say, I want an Android app that does this. And it's going to be able to create a whole new repo for you. It's going to put in skeleton stuff. And then you're going to look at it and you're going to say, well, actually, I want this. Generate a picture of a dog face, put in this sort of text, and then boom. And so what's going to happen is we're going to get this explosion. It's going to be like a Cambrian explosion of AI software development. Um, and I think that probably in 2025, we're going to get also an explosion for um, actually, probably it's going to happen this year is going to be an explosion in hardware design and CAD design so that the entire vertical stack of product development will start happening inside artificial intelligence. Oh, and yeah. it's those people that really know how to tie in and the integration of all these different systems together that are going to be the ones that are going to be the new dominating tech lords of the future. Um, and so you know, it's this... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as you're talking about that, that very large uh, token window allowance for the prompt seems to me, I'm just thinking out loud that as that gets larger, you'll be able to take, let's say you, you ask it to build, to write the code for you to do this. And you take the code and you compile it and run it. And it's not quite right, but you could take that code and put it back in as part of your next prompt and say, Given the following code, I want to make the following iterative changes and improvements to that code. Now write new code based on that old code. Like you can, you can feed 
like you can have it, you can deposit all your code in the prompt, right? Yeah. I, I'm saying is that that's a great insight. Um, that was six months ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's how fast it's moving. Right. So now it's going to be like an entire, like a larger, larger context windows. Right. And as those get large, what I'm saying is in essence, you're going to have AI systems rewriting, rewriting their own, their own code. I mean, you, you could even, I mean, the code that drives the AI fine tuning training can be put into a prompt of that same model to say, I want to build a better model of myself. Right. So this is how we get to you know, the singularity, singularity explosion, right? Oh my God. We said it at the same time. Yeah. It's a singularity. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's this, like, remember when I told you that back propagation within the training of your mind's neural nets happens in O of N speed. Sorry if I'm using terminology, but it'll know, but, um, and the ones that we do artificially are N squared. So it takes way longer to do artificial means. The first thing that the AGI could do to um, improve itself is to figure out how to get that O of N backpropagation speed. Right. And that would be the first sort of like, that would be basically the final invention that we ever need to make. Oh my gosh. Because then, then super intelligence would just be a linear function. Yeah. And right now we're bottlenecked on that backpropagation N squared problem. And once that gets wow. knocked out, it's hold on and be prepared to white knuckle it. You know, I've seen I've seen some articles from some people given some backlash, you know, pushback against the LLMs who just don't they don't get it. I've seen people say, oh, like like the cost of producing garbage is going to zero. And these are just these are parlor tricks and these are hoaxes. And I'm like, man, you really don't get it. Uh, there, there's a lot of people that that are, that are completely missing what has happened in human history already. Yeah, and it's funny. It's it's like it came out of the authoritative circles that oh, it's bad. It doesn't work good. And I, I used it like the first time, and I was like, this is going to change everything. And to my surprise, like uh, I, I listened to a lot of people on the web talk about tech, and none of them seemed to get it either. Right? They were all you know like the Primogen, which I listened to. He was saying some bad stuff about it, and also Theo from Ping. He's got a popular channel, and they were saying about how it doesn't really improve code quality. I'm like, what are these guys smoking? <laughs> what reality are they living in? Right? Like it's making me fly. And now, and now they're for it, right? And, that, and that's yeah. kind of the funny thing. This misinformation comes out, and people are like, oh well, the consensus is so. I'm going to echo that. You know, getting back to this NPC sort of culture. And, um, and well, you know, I, I went hardcore. I mean, I got it in five minutes when I started querying an LLM. I, I, I knew that, that this, this was a quantum leap over anything. Cause I grew up in the day when we ran Eliza on the Apple II, which was, that was a parlor trick. It would just, you know, you would, you, you would say like, uh, I don't know about my feelings about my father. Let's say and it would say, well, tell me more about the feelings about your father. Like, okay. You're just taking what I say and you're feeding it back to me. That was Eliza. Yeah. This is not that at all. It's not even close. It's not even in the same realm. And yet the ability of a lot of modern humans to see what has happened is, is very, it's very limited. It's like their own internal LLM isn't capable of seeing how this other LLM has just surpassed human. LLMs. I don't know if we can say it that way, but Something has happened. A lot of people are missing it. Yeah, it's 
it's and I don't get it. I think it's I think it's because a lot of people have this like mimetic desire to agree with what the tribe is saying. And a lot of the people in the tribe are saying, oh, we need to like slow down AI. Like, oh, it's not going to replace humans. Like, you know, uh, there's that special spirit with it, which is within the artist that the AI will never be able to um, reproduce. And I was like, yeah, you know, let's just give the AI three more months. Right. And, you know, the person I was having that argument with, he got totally changed. Right. Like he was like. He went from like, it's never going to be able to replicate the spirit of humankind to be like, oh, wow, it's way better, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be way better. And just wait until, you know, they start producing movies that are decent. They, they kind of are, but they need oh, a yeah, lot of handholding. But in the future, you'll just be like, make a movie of this and it'll be like a full length feature film. And I want to bring up that all these people like in the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild, they're like, oh, we want to have like higher wages all the people in the fast food industry that are trying to labor to join a union or to like great like more money like um guys your job is on the cutting block right like this whole thing where you guys just band together and demand higher pay like they're going to replace your job with a kiosk and an LLM. like that that's what's on the table right it's like everyone is so psyop that they're fighting the wrong battles that's right and we can't even make any progress because people are going in the wrong direction of you know, at least we could have a conversation based upon reality. Like, okay, we got this LLM. Like, what do you do with all these jobs? You can't, you know, get them higher. You know, let's first of all, let's not try to band together and you know double our our the amount of money because that just basically creates a crisis within McDonald's and they're going to replace your jobs even faster. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, I was I, I was running. Uh, I have one of my data science uh, servers is actually uh, at my home office. Uh, the rest are in our data center, but I, I, I had one shipped to me at home so I could play with it locally. And I hooked it up to my uh, watt meter to see how many, how many watts of electricity it's using. And I, I came up with the conclusion that for about 2,000 watts of electricity, I could replace about 50 people. <laughs> in, in terms of like jobs, you know, graphic design, writing, marketing, writing, whatever. N- not, not to say that people don't have roles in other important jobs, but for a lot of the kind of low hanging fruit, 2000 Watts in a server replaces about 50 people. Yeah. Think about that. That's right. Yeah. And you're not going to pay uh, income tax on that. No. And, and the server doesn't, you know, show up late, uh, reeking of pot and, and, and try to, you know, try to flirt with the other coworkers and, you know, whatever. And every fast food restaurant, like you said, there, um, and think about Amazon warehouses. Amazon's going to replace almost every last human worker with a humanoid robot that has some kind of AI brain that like behavior models, just like language models. They're going to, they're going to mimic human behaviors. How do I pick up a box? How do I stack this? How do I wrap this? These are going to be human behavior libraries that it's going to just master in no time. I mean, literally like a weekend of training, boom, it's done and roll it out across a hundred thousand robots. Right. And so the question is, what do we do about it now? Like, we're not at that point yet, but we still got a little bit of time. And it's like, what do we do? And my only answer to that is learn to code. Right? Like, <laughs> I think it's you're right. Than ever. Yeah. Like, you, you're not, you're not going to fight the tsunami by complaining about it. It's coming. Uh, the question is whether you're going to build a boat now and ride the wave out to the future, uh, which is what I'm doing. And it's what you're doing. And the people that are watching us take our lead and do it too. Yeah. Well said. All right, Zach Voorhees, everybody. The, the book is called Google Leaks, a whistleblower's expose of big tech censorship. 
And also want to plug the other two websites you mentioned. What was it? American Digital Shield? Yep. Oh, America's. Uh, America's Digital Shield. Dot com. Dot and then com. the other one? Uh, FeedTheWatchdogs.org. Feed the watchdogs. And if you like my content, uh, check it out on Twitter.com slash Perpetual Maniac. Um, I'm just there to sort of like, I, I give zero craps now at this point. Like, I think we're heading to some bad areas and I'm just basically, you know, pointing out some information that is not obvious, right? And and the problem with controlled opposition is that they all try to agree on like a different set of fake news things and <laughs> trying to punch through that as fast as I can. Um, and not everyone likes the stuff that I have to say, but it is well-researched. And when I do get it wrong, I will say so. Um, so check it out. Twitter.com slash Perpetual Maniac. Um, it's my gamer tag. Um, I promise you that uh, if you don't like my content, you will find it thought-provoking. Okay. All right. Well said. Thank you so much, Zach. Always a pleasure to speak with you. I mean, mind-blowing today. Uh, I can't wait to talk with you again. Yeah, can't wait. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for joining me today. Wow. Thank you. Welcome to the second hour of Radio G's, Radio G, Radio 5G's Cosmic Soup. We're pre-recording this, but it will be aired on January 10th, 2024. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is is uh, Mark Joseph, and you've just listened to a very, I mean, I found that just to be a fascinating discussion between Zach Borges and uh, Mike Adams. I, I mean, I, I actually had to stop it and Google certain things that they had been talking about. And um, I'm going to say this, hopefully I'll remember to say this in the beginning of the show, but there's thing, they keep talking about LM. Well, LM is language modeling. And then they start talking about LLM. That's large language modeling. So I just want to point that out before we, we, we get into the discussion here, Mark. Um, tell me what you thought and why you chose this to be one of the options for today. Yeah, same reason that uh, caught, it caught your attention and um, you know made you stop and, and uh, reconsider a bunch of stuff. So, you know, Project Veritas has been huge for quite a few years for a lot of us. And uh, that's where I first heard of um, Zach. I think he's still currently living in San Francisco. So that's why it hits close to home for me because I work there I don't know, several times, let's say, uh, a month, along with Oakland and Berkeley and that whole thing. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I sent this out to you, and uh, hopefully it'll get people to uh, bring into into light the... Um, usefulness of AI and um, I like that he goes all the way from you know, to me it's not good versus evil I mean there, there's a an angle of that sure but when it comes to your own personal utilization it's centralization versus decentralization and that goes for anything and everything right so um, and, and the universe's uh, tools that's given to us uh, and, and that's what I like about Zach is he's been in the belly of the beast and helped expose it. And in fact, I was listening <clears throat> because, I mean, it was a what a 90 minute interview pretty much. And it leaves you wanting more and wanting to know more. And it's a good thing for us with Rumble and different podcast apps 
So he's done, I don't know why, but a bunch of interviews all within around the same time, which is like, uh, um, you go to Rumble, put his name in and do most recent. And he's done uh, within the last few weeks, like uh, four to five interviews. And he, he's out there in the circuit pretty regularly in your reg in your podcast app. He's, he's done a bunch too. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that he, I think it was Freedom Talk, the podcast near the end uh, of that, pretty much his last word was that, He's happy to have contributed to um, Google's uh, downfall. So he's predicting within the next five years, it'll be uh, broken apart by the government. Um, their, their ad system will be broken apart. So uh, and another person, a high profile name, uh, Robert Barnes, um, is saying the same thing. Like there have been some lawsuits won against Google and it's like, yeah, their days are numbered. And I'm glad because um, anybody who knows big tech, there is no differentiation between intelligence agencies and Silicon Valley. So there's a really good interview with Whitney Webb and Catherine Fitz. It's in their membership, but they talk about there's such a uh, back and forth with, um, <clears throat> you know, the, this whole public-private partnership that uh, you, you can't differentiate. And, and it, it's essentially the same thing. So I'm hoping <laughs> I... I there's a shirt uh, I'll be wearing out in, in uh, Mountain View and wherever else I, I go for my uh, extracurricular activities where it says Gulag, G-O-O-L-A-G. You could buy on like any, uh, what do you call it, online printing shirt or printing press place like Redbubble or Public. And so, yeah, at least now like people know what's going on and moving towards decentralization, which is more options and more choice, right? Uh, but I like this one because, like, this is your, we're in the um, early, um, what do you call it, space of, you know, working with ChatGPT4, get familiar with it. So when, as the change slowly comes in, then you're able to utilize it for whatever. And, and I know for Nancy, for you, it's like how to collate your, how many, we're, we're going into 10 years now of uh, cosmic reality and Shanghai. So if that were be able to be collated by AI, we could just type in a word and then it'll come up, you know, some kind of search where every single time you've mentioned it, it'll come up. So um, a lot of promise and potential. And one of his more interesting comments is when he's optimistic about things, he tends to miss a lot of critical targets. But when he was pessimistic, then he was able to see a lot, a lot more. Um, but he strikes me as a guy who is who has both in balance and and i, I like the idea of um changing different hats and uh this occult idea of flexibility of belief and suspension of disbelief and you got to be able to know when to uh toggle right so and and one's ability to do that is your your uh, measurability of life force of life energy and making choices and what are what are your tools that the universe gives you and have being in the moment to choose and apply and uh, Zach does that really well and uh, yeah so he's pretty consistent with interviews out there um, like for me today I just went to my podcast app typed his name and boom there's some from last month some from this month uh, and a few from uh, within the last couple of weeks like the Mel K interview was talking about the whole IRS thing of uh, tech startups having issues and, and, you know, they're not able to reap the same benefits. So another thing of shrinking the middle class. So, um, 
Yeah, interesting times to say the least. So uh, I'll send it back to you, Nancy. Well, let's stop <clears throat> with <clears throat> with the, te the tech techs. Um, I found that to be very, very informative because they've been doing these ads down here in Florida, and I have no clue as to what it is, but they're upset about something, you know, but they don't give you enough information to tell you what they're upset about. So now I'm, I'm beginning to see what this is all about because it goes back to his basic premise that was stunning. I mean, absolutely stunning. Now, I had heard this in the grapevine, let's call it, but that um, the AI had gotten to a point where it was essentially teaching itself and that there were tech people, I think his name was brought up, that um, that they were terrified by this. There was no reason for the reasoning that they were seeing happening. And that goes back to the to the language modeling, because when they started asking questions and getting answers that they didn't think the machine was possibly able to answer in the way that it did, they began to do uh, a project, <coughs> excuse me, a project to determine the how many. Let me, let me just read this. Uh, Where uh, I took a lot of notes on this thing. Um, yeah. Okay, LM, they were calling it LM language. Okay, and what it is, is the probability, determining the probability of a given sequence of words in a sentence. And so they were able to figure out, essentially, how long would the monkey take to put those words together? And none of the statistics were matching... Oh, what's that noise? You hear that noise? That's weird. yeah. It sounds like maybe a road show, like the street street road. Yeah, show. It, yeah, maybe. Um, it was very loud here. Um, and what they're talking about here is the fact that the the machine was was doing reasoning, and they could see it was doing reasoning. Hold on, I got to call. Yeah, that's the LLM, Language Learning Model. And we're closing into this thing of um, how NPCs, people, you know, you, the Milgram experiment, once again, uh, <clears throat> that uh, people are just echoing and parroting, you know, the echo chamber thing of what they hear rather than it's, you know, even personal experience. Like, tell me what you've experienced rather than just, just regurgitating something else that somebody said that, okay, how does that help me? You know, as far as uh, the experience, the transformation, what did I learn from it? So even if there's a perspective or opinion, like a news piece, like w what is it that I can use in the moment and then later, and then to give to somebody else? So that's the uh, that's decentralization to me. Um, but yeah, Nancy, you were, you were uh, trying to finish the thought. Yeah, <clears throat> so I, I swear to God, there's something in the air. I've been sneezing all day. Um, what, what, what he was talking about there was just fascinating because he's, it's exactly what you're saying, that the humans mirror what the tribe is doing. Okay? And then he got into the concept of the antisocial circuit, he called it, which is us. 
And he said that 15 to 20 percent don't fall into the group think, which kind of follows the way that I, I'm seeing it. I think maybe there's more than the 20 percent he's seeing. But anyway, um, so what, what starts to happen is they start to rewrite their own code, codes. And he said, this was the most profound thing he said. Let me just get this, because I, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Um, what the heck, where is it? Okay. Yeah. No one programmed the reasoning. The intelligence was a surprise. The more data you add, the more they came up with their own ethics and i was like oh my god this is so it's kind of funny it's like what's the difference between us 15 20 percenters and the rest of the zombies well they got into that too you know because the both of them started talking about the non-player character the npc and we've been talking about this for how long mark NPCs and also called background people, that they just mirror whatever the tribe is doing. They don't have any reasoning. And, you know, it was, it's, it's kind of a hard subject to get your mind wrapped around. But once you begin to see it that way, then it becomes very, very interesting because these people cannot be reasoned with because they don't have the reasoning ability for whatever reason. You know, I mean, I can give you a, probably a dozen different reasons that that could have happened. But the concept that if you're not programmed, if you've got a reasoning brain like they programmed into the AI, <clears throat> basic reasoning. If you see this, this, and this, then it's probably this. Basic reasoning, okay? then the AI by itself will see the truth. It will see the counter-addictions counter, uh, in what the woke people are saying. Because Mike said that, he, you know, every time he goes to use one of these language modeling things, you know, the big program, the LLM, um, he finds that it's been programmed by woke people. So it's the programmer again that is putting it into these computers, which is what we felt when we were being targeted on YouTube and, and, and Facebook and X and all the other things, is that they were targeting a profile and certain information. But in this new computer, the, I mean, they're talking about it revolutionizing everything. Yeah, it revolutionizes the way we look at everything. Not just what it can do for us, but how we're looking at things. Because if the, you've got basic reasoning, like they put into the computer, it came up with its own ethics. It said, this doesn't make any sense, what they're saying, the woke stuff is saying. We know it doesn't make any sense, but so didn't the computer. And I just, I, I started laughing when I'm hearing them talking about the elites, that this is putting a real problem into the elite world. Because... If they were trying to censor to begin with, that was to limit the amount of information that's out there that can be garnered by the AI systems that are there now. You know, they were talking about, yeah, they, they're censoring us because they don't want the AI to hear this stuff. 
It's not the people. It's the AI. So the more, you know, and one of the things that he used also was the phrase that I say all the time, which I can't quite see it here. I know what the phrase is. But he was talking in terms of where where is this, <clears throat> excuse me, where is this excess reasoning coming from? And he believed it was a collective consciousness of humanity. Uh, he didn't get into it. He didn't define it. Mike didn't jump on it. But that's what I've been saying, is that all of the information that we, we think goes into a collective consciousness. Now, if you somehow or another have created an AI that can access the collective consciousness of humanity, well, I don't think the black side's going to win, you know, because it doesn't make sense what they're doing. None of it does. So, I mean, at one point, um, Mike said they were, t- oh, well, that, that was the other thing. They were talking about the magnetic reversal in the sun. They really kind of went off the, you know, the grid there. But, you know, I mean, we've known about this for a long time, that the sun could burp something and kill us all. I mean, that's just a fact of the solar system. And the changes in the magnetic fields and the, you know, heating up of certain, well, all the planets, everything that's happening in the solar system has been happening. Now, I'm trying to think back in probably... 15, 2015, in that vicinity, <clears throat> there was a Eskimo tribe, the Inuits, that got a hold of some television people in Anchorage to tell them that they wanted to tell the world that the, the sun and the moon had changed positions. And so I, I came across this thing, we looked at it, we followed it, and I said, well, I said it's very likely that what you've got is is a observation on the surface of the Earth regarding the positions of the sun and the moon, and that it correlates with what many of us had believed is that in this particular area of the galaxy, the Milky Way that we're in, there's a tremendous amount of stuff being blown out by the black sun. They even mentioned that. Um, But this was back when people didn't really understand this concept. So there's a lot of, it's called the protein belt. And the first indications of it that they could see and measure, uh, a husband and wife team, astronomers, saw these sheets. They they, they actually, they, they looked like sheets of cellulose. But they didn't know what it was. But they could measure it. They're taking, you know, all these different measurements that they take. They're seeing this stuff basically coming out of the center of the galaxy towards Earth. And then, you know, the more they watched it, the more record measurements they were able to take. They realized that this was a, a cellulose construct. Now, cellulose, cellulose being like, a, well, how to explain it? Think of a, a, of a beehive and think of the honeycombs. And all those little individual compartments, okay? That's that's kind of the way cellulose is, in my in my understanding of it. 
But now they're realizing that all of this stuff is being made by carbon. And then <clears throat> NASA comes along and they do some stuff and they decide, well, you know, the most plentiful molecule in the galaxy is the C60. Yes, the C60, the same thing that we find in Shungite. The same thing that does not does not form in any way, shape, or form on Earth in a natural way. It has to be brought from interstellar space, which is what happened when the meteorite hit, you know, two and a half billion years ago. So, the, 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 the whole version of that concept of the sun, you know, going into a magnetic flare and stuff is, is very real. I mean, it is a, a real aspect of science. And when this stuff <clears throat> gets fed into the, the sun, the sun begins to heat. It's like fuel to the sun. So, you remember back in uh, probably, I bet now, maybe maybe 16. Uh, no, it would have to be It'd have to be before 03, before 03. The sun changed from a yellow sun to a white sun. You remember that? A lot of people don't know it. Take a look at the sun. It's not the sun you grew up with. It's a white sun. And that's because it's burning hotter. That's why the things are heating up. But it's also enlarging, although it's very hard to perceive that in testing the geometry of space but because the solar system and the galaxy galaxy itself are made of essentially octaves of energy we know that in the asteroid belt there had to have been another planet because it fits the geometry of the orbits of each of the planets based on size and It's a set mathematical astronomy number. Well, it's a ratio. All that is a ratio. So what happened was that back in 04, you got the Eskimos who were trying to track through absolute desolate snow-covered stuff where there's no nothing to look at on the ground that'll give you your perspective of, you know, where you're going, just the sun or the moon. And they were off and people were getting lost. That's because we were going through a transitionary phase where everything was expanding, but also relatively changing their position to the other planets. I hope I haven't lost anybody here or maybe maybe a couple of you with me or maybe all of you. But this is a phenomena that was talked about in ancient text. So, yes, could you have some kind of a flare and, and have all this happen? Yeah, 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 sure you could. You could have a whole lot of different things happen and kill you in an instant. Um, But that's not what the game is. The game is a 3D playing board being played by spiritual beings. And I think that that's what we have to keep looking at, is that if we want this AI to, in fact, be a... What was that? They used a funny term. It was like... Uh, um, I'm not seeing it. It took too many notes. K 
can't find what's in here. Yeah, same here. So that's also the the proton belt. I think you'd meant to say. Yes. What did I say? Protein. <laughs> proton. Yes. I seem to have a problem with that. Um, exotic, hyper intelligent life form. That's what they're calling the AI. Exotic. <laughs> you know. Yes, it is very exotic. But that's that's what's so wonderful about the the dance of creation that we're in, is that perhaps this AI situation is not such a danger to us. It is an ultimate danger to the dark side. Because in it, you know, we go through life and we go, I don't know if this is true. It could be true. It may not be true. Um, this is my reasons for thinking it is true. This is my reasons for saying it could maybe not be true. When we go through all that reasoning, this AI would have it done in a fraction of a second. So you'd, <clears throat> you'd know right off the bat, is this a good thing or a bad thing? AI, what do you think? <laughs> you know, because it was, it's that much faster. And if it's working with the same database that you and I and, and the, you know, non-social follow the crowd group does if 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 they're if it's thinking like we are then it's going to think like we are and it's going to come to the same conclusions no you shouldn't do that because that doesn't make any sense so i found it in in many ways very very uplifting as far as the ai goes as far as the destruction of the solar system and stuff i if it happens, it happens. There's nothing we can do about it. I mean, that's just just a fact. But I don't believe that the spiritual beings that have created this environment um, will let it happen. And there, there's been times in the past where I can honestly say that I think that there was intervention in some crucial, let's say, damaging things that could have been done but weren't done so i do believe that we have spiritual help spiritual et somebody somebody out there is you know helping us out so yeah this this isn't a belief i mean if you go by your personal experience along with waltz you know the uh uh, uh new paradigm tools.net the um uh advanced shungai uh, a device designer along with Derek uh, you guys have worked with other dimensional uh, entities and the earth herself is a consciousness I mean people just go back to the archives they're free right since 2014 so this isn't belief this is your personal experience your transformational experience and a group of people is a cosmic reality family right and uh, yes. we're going to be interviewing some of these people, Shanghai people, um, this year. Uh, but there is an, I just thought of this now, where, you know, this whole dualism thing, this Hegelian dialect, right? The left and right, good and evil, uh, dreamer and sleeper, you know, Dune, that kind of thing. But it is useful in terms of the third side of this, another old occult uh, useful um, application, where... The third side is what works for you personally because you have the N equals one, which is, you know, everybody's different. Like even in, in nutritional health stuff, like garlic works for somebody, another person it doesn't. So what is it that works for you personally? And then you go from there and then share. So this thing with the AI of, of um, 
So Joseph Farrell had a good one in his GizaDeathStar.com site of um, the possibility of the ghost in the machine or um, uh, dimensional entities possessing AI, let alone machines. So there's he did this blog called AI Entities, Digital Ouija Boards, and the Evil and Insane, where why is it there is a paralleling of the occult and technology? JPL is one example, and there are countless examples um, you know, in history. So it's a really good examination of, so that's one side of it, but then the other side is what you're talking about, where the, there's, you're saying about that reasoning thing where the AI is accessing models that are not within the data sets, that is accessing the, um, the zeitgeist or the wealth guys, the world spirit, um, this thing of, uh, um, what was that random number generator they did? before and after 9-11 where people knew something big was going to happen in the world this is the uh pair princeton um it's like a princeton lab of of that that the collective consciousness does influence and change things you know like um the double sp split experiment so is, is, is this the same thing as when they in 9-11 they had um satellites up that were watching the electromagnetic fields of the earth and they found that right before 9-11 during 9-11 for a little bit after it there was an incredible spike in the electromagnetic field is that the same study you're talking about or is this another yeah they one? talked about that on coast to coast random number generators and 9-11 uh, was one another one was like this plane crashed from a while ago so People were and, and you know people dreaming up stuff beforehand and governments were warned out that whole thing. So um, yeah, so then if if uh, AI is given these decentralized information of old books and stuff, then it's obviously gonna optimize to what is the most efficient and productive, not not what the centralizers are uh, limiting people to. And I think Google is a good blueprint of what, what it's moving towards. And then the rest of the FANG, the uh, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, big tech will fall into place of that, of what's going to happen. So, um, and then, of course, we know about the AI church. I, I don't know. I mean, it, <clears throat> some the, the AI messiah kind of thing and it being some kind of cult and, and, and worshiping it. So, okay, that's another stratification of, of people. But... I, I like the point he did at the end of there's always a group of contrarians, 15 to 20 percent, who will not follow the groupthink in every, you know, eon culture society. And uh, that's why I constantly quote um, the Milgram experiment. And what was the other one? The Ash something, Ash experiment, where people get ruled by and it's their choice or lack thereof of uh, uh, following worshiping authority. It's just easier not to think. And then of always following the herd, the peer pressure and peer approval, the, the gravity of that pulls people in. Um, and, I mean, we do have it easy. Like, uh, we know where the, some of the, you know, decentralized, uh, more decentralized places are with, like, X and then Telegram, Brighton, right? Uh, and so this is good, you know, he's he's kind of leading the way of, what are the useful tools for the future that we can use? So, let me see what else here. 
Well, well he, yeah, he actually tells people that you're going to be able to have your own LLM, your own, you know, yep. big, large language computer in your own computer, that they have the technology. As a matter of fact, his website apparently has something. I mean, he went beyond what I could follow, um, you know, to help programmers to put it in their own computer. And so you and he was calling it uh, niche niche uh, LLMs. And so, you know, like Radio 5G, or let's say Cosmic Reality. Cosmic Reality puts itself into one of those environments where AI is, you know, like you say, going through the transcripts. If somebody says, you know, what about this? It'd be able to bring up the transcript of the show within an instant to explain to somebody when, you know, we might have talked about something. And all that information is open source to the AI. Right? Yeah. Or, I mean, I mean that, mm-hmm. that's that's what Mike Adams is trying to do. To build his own. And that was just phenomenal. I mean, it's like, yeah, this is going to revolutionize. I mean, think of, think of go, let's go back a little bit. Look, let's go back to Anonymous. Anonymous was a group of hackers. And they got on a, a, a website, and no, nobody knew anything except their name and their story. And those are the people that were contacted by a Snowden from the NSA with the vast amount of material that he had taken from NSA. They were the ones that got it and did the analysis. For the first time in their, in their life, the anonymous group, they had to organize because they, it was so much information that they would say, okay, you guys look at this stuff, you guys look at this stuff, you guys look at this stuff. And so there has been a group of, and, and they were very, very out there when they initially came out. Now you don't hear from them at all. But that's not because they're not there behind the scenes. And I, I recommend you go to Rumble, uh, the Shanghai Reality Rumble station, and I believe it's that. Maybe it's the Cosmic Reality Station on Rumble. But there is um, some videos from Bill Brockbrader. And Bill Brockbrader was an inside. He was anonymous. That's how how I, I know the story is, pro, is possible, and most likely true because I personally know Bill. And he wrote the, uh, the foreword to Cosmic Reality, my book. So it, it's, an inter- it's a fascinating discussion of how Anonymous got involved with all this information from NSA and then what it did with it. And if you take the time to listen to that, you'll know why so many of us believe there is a group of what we you know, call white hats that are behind the scene that are manipulating everything. Um, one, of the, one of the most important things that Anonymous did before the NSA, and I think it was about the same time, but um, what 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 election was it? I can't even remember what. It, Rom- Romney was the guy that was running, and he was absolutely told that he would win the election. Don't worry about it. You're going to win the election. And then it comes down to Ohio, and he was losing. And they, you know, people around him were like, why, why don't you seem to be concerned? You're losing. Yeah, but Ohio, it'll be mine. Well, what happened was that in the Ohio computer systems that counted the electoral votes, there was a sub-program 
that was in fact designed to give the race, no matter what the numbers were, to Romney. But Anonymous knew about it. And Anonymous went in there and and took out that sub-program so it didn't happen. All right, so Romney was not president of the United States. Whoops, <laughs> you know. Let's go to plan two or three or 20 or whatever plan they were on at that time. So there is a massive organization that is there that even the people that are coming out like Zach probably don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. But I I bet you that that they don't know. Um, So anytime you hear all of this stuff that can get you scared, don't be scared. I have the real faith that these people are the best in the business at what they're doing. And that, for all I know, they started reprogramming the AI that the elites have got out there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I Yeah, okay, when this comes out, you're going to see a, a photo for this particular show. And you're going to see... And, and I, I got confused as to who it was doing this, but I think it's AmericasDigitalShield.com is looking at the bias on Google and finding out, you know, what what's what's Google's record when somebody asks a question? What what how does it respond? And there's two uh, images there. The first image is one that. Um, shows you I'm pulling it up for myself here. It shows you the USA political landscape, okay? The current political leanings at the time of the 2020 election. And the content sent by Google, okay? State by state, you know, what 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 did they, what were they sending out? Okay, so probably 75% of the country is red in the political landscape but what was sent out with google was almost 100 percent democratic information all right and the other one is uh shows you the actual election election results based on what google was projecting okay what what they what they were doing and then there's one google's without Google's interference, who would be the winner? And, of course, it was all Republicans. And the others was all Democrats. Because Google has that much control over what it is giving the answers to to people's questions, directing them continually to Democratic information instead of to the alternative field or the Republicans. So, I mean, if they, and I'm, I'm really impressed with, with the database. It's like somebody sent me, it was uh, some guy, what the hell state was it? New York, I think it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it might have been New York. And yeah, I know it was New York. And it was somebody that actually looked into the election at 2020, 2020 and the midterm election to see what really, what, what were the real numbers? Not what we were told, but what were the real numbers? You know, he went from county to county, counting them up and stuff. And it turned out that the election results in New York for both of those elections was not what the numbers said. They lied about the numbers. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's like, 
the Germans were good. They came out and they said, you know, you keep telling them the same lie over and over again, and finally they're going to believe it. And that's what they've, they've been doing here. And now you've got hardcore information that's tracking this. And, um, yeah, I mean, 2023 has been a real rocky year. But the fact of the matter is a tremendous amount of information has come out during that year. So I think we just have to, you know, be thankful that we're, it's starting to come out. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, so you're talking about Dr. Robert Epstein. He was interviewed on InfoWars November or December a couple of times. I've known about him for years. There's a documentary. It was on um, YouTube. If it's not there, it should be on Rumble and Bishop called The Creepy Line, where he talks about these things, algorithms, how Google has been doing this for, for years. And his latest interview is on the Jimmy Dore Show, D-O-R-E on Rumble. It's called Proof Google is Stealing Elections with Dr. Robert Epstein, done three days ago. So you want to hear the latest about what he has to say? Check it out. This is really important because... Is said it Rumble? Yeah. So this is really important because when he was, as he was moving closer into this information and, and getting this parsed out and structured, and when he told this to Congress people, they told him, you better watch out because you you could get attacked. Like you like, and he said on on Twitter that I am not suicidal. And guess what happened? Three several days after he talked to those Congress people, his wife died in a car accident. So we know the connection with Google and CIA, and that they killed his wife. So and he's still charging on with this. So support him however you can. I've mentioned Dr. Epstein before and other Radio Five G shows and Shanghai shows. So you know th this guy's got the best stuff, and you know. What's uh, his first name? What's his first name? Robert. Dr. Robert Epstein. Okay. The Creepy Line documentary. You know, it, it's been out there for years. So check it out. Um, yeah, what else? Oh, let me play this thing here. Uh, on the Mel K show, this is a really good one. Uh, Zach, uh, a highlight. Which is that there should be no encryption because why would you want to hide from the government? Uh, but what I think is actually going to happen is the synthesis between those ideas in which uh, the normies get crippled encryption um, by the NSA. A lot of people don't know that the NSA uh, is the one that's uh, publishing these crypto algorithms that we all use. And one of the problems with the RSA encryption um, is that uh, it's quantum weak. And so with a quantum computer, um, they're going to be able to factor you know, this, this encryption um, very, very quickly in the future. Um, right now, the development's going very slow on that, but there was actually a really interesting story that I posted on my Twitter account of a mathematician uh, within Silicon Valley, lives in Mountain View, California. And what he posted is that um, he actually discovered uh, a previously hidden algorithm that has actually been known by the elites since 2,500 years ago uh, in the time of Pythagoras, I guess when they, they came up with this RSA encryption, which is actually very, very old, um, but that they also fa found out a way to factor large prime numbers which um, is the thing that makes this encryption unbreakable, essentially, is that uh, factoring prime numbers or the, the product of two prime numbers is very, very hard. Um, and so what he, what, he's, what he stated is that he's figured out a way to break it and that he doesn't even need a quantum computer and that he can do it with, uh, you know, uh, the computing power of a cell phone. Wow. And that he's going to, it, basically it's in pre-prime right now, but he's going to put it out there. And what he's offering is that he's he's going to offer, I think he might have already offered it, which is a um, quantum-resistant um, encryption algorithm that is light years ahead of RSA. Wow. Um, I think that, you know, my analysis is that this is the kind of stuff that the government wants to get ahead of and they want to prevent because they don't want an encryption algorithm that they can't break. 
right? right? And right. so it's my belief that they've intentionally given us this crippled system. We think that everything that we do is secure, but some people hiding behind the shadows um, have a secret way in order to crack it and basically do archaeological discovery on this data. This, it's digital arcology, right? Yeah. And and so um, you know this is where we're going, and I think that uh, you know essentially we're going to be in for a big surprise where it's going to turn out that everything that we've ever sent over the internet is archived and saved by the NSA and then broken so that when they want to get your, your Bitcoin wallet or anything like that, they can just, they can just grab it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that is, that is already there. Yeah. So that was the highlight for that interview and he's got tons of stuff to share. Obviously when, when this, when this math petition goes more public, then it'll be posted in, in Zach's uh, Twitter uh, X page. So, a lot, okay. of, a lot of stuff to look out for. Yeah, a lot of things are happening. All right, we're at the end of the show, so um, I want you to uh, just say good night or good day or wherever we are with people out there. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Um, see you at the next show, Shanghai Show. And, um, yeah, uh, have fun out there. Be safe and healthy. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for being here. We'll see you next time. Be safe. You've been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening.